Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> I just got to, got to remember my first line. Good morning, Ned. Oh, sorry, just drinking tea. Ciao, Daddy Day. Where are you? I'm at Guadalajara, San Framondi, in the region of Campania, where it's overcast and a rather chilly 8 degrees. Mountain mist is expected to burn off throughout the morning, and the first part of the day should be bright, with temperatures rising into the low 20s, though there is a risk of some isolated showers in the afternoon. Visitors to the town may find restricted parking and certain local and temporary road closures as the Giro d'Italia arrives today, and the 12th century Norman Castle remains closed for the day. It's 6.36, and to ease you into Saturday morning, here's R.E.M. And everybody hurts. Never Stray's Farfalle is brought to you by Chapter 3 and The Roadbook. Chapter 3 was created by David Miller in 2015 with the vision of creating cycling clothing that he would wear as a retired racer. Now they've made cycling kit to meet you wherever your ride takes you. And the good news, it's launching next month. In 2018, a team of dedicated enthusiasts delivered the inaugural edition of the Roadbook Cycling Almanac, an annual publication supplying data, essays and anecdotes from the racing calendar. The Roadbook has become the definitive companion of any serious fan of the sport. Documenting how the season bounced back from the pandemic, the latest 2020 edition has arguably never had such an important place on our bookshelves. Between us, we're giving away four full sets of Chapter 3's new kit, two men's and two women's, as well as four signed copies of the 2020 Roadbook. Plus, four sets of caps and socks with RB Exercise Book and Musette. Bookmark as a secondary prize. All you have to do is head to the episode notes and click the link. How's life on the road, Ned? Just reach that kind of terminal stage seven. Stage eight velocity, David, a little bit. I've, I don't know. I think this is the first, with the exception of having visited Naples a few years ago for a football match, which is an amazing city. And obviously it's, by, it's the big sort of focal population point in Campania. I don't think I've been to Campania before and certainly not to the interior of Campania, you know, far inland from the coast, very mountainous, very barren. I'm very rugged and very beautiful, but I did last night reach the conclusion that it must be, it's kind of the equivalent of um, the Massif Central in France. So I think Campania is to Italy what the Massif Central is to France to some extent. And you know, as well as I do, kind of in terms of going around on a grand tour, you know what that must mean. Mm, that means hellish transfers, just Bleak. no no auto routes. <laughs> just windy roads i mean and i guess there's not, not even any restaurants or anything to stop at is there is everything closed no, no but we got we i mean we we got to this i mean just 
kind of absurdly vast um, agri hotel in the middle of nowhere. I've no idea where we are really, but in the dark last night and it's cavernous and it must have hundreds of rooms and not just that, but like loads and loads of function rooms as if it's expecting at any given time to host four or five different weddings, um, all of which are completely empty. But we arrived here late last night and actually as soon as we got out of the car door and it was kind of drizzling and we quite high up in the hills, um, you could smell the food coming from the kitchen that was being prepared. And they were obviously advised that all the Giro d'Italia people would be arriving very late. So we, so we dumped our stuff in the rooms and sat down. And um, for the first time since I've been touring with the Giro, we didn't just get a set menu, you know, like w- whatever, whatever you've, whatever we've prepared. So uh, we were allowed to choose from the menu. So I choose, I choose an asparagus and mushroom soup um, for a starter that was just just soul food it was you can imagine like if you're slightly car sick just coming out of a like that and someone just gives you one of these things and then my favorite thing in the world in italy to eat parpadelli alla cinghiale oh, wild nice. wild boar wild boar ragu and oh. um it was good it was good it was really it was really lovely but uh, we're, we're traveling around with um um so there's us, there's me and Matt Stevens and our two producers who are in a separate car um, and they arrive a bit later. But but there's also, we travel around with the uh, Carabinieri who are attached to the Giro d'Italia. And we were trying to figure it out last night because they're all, they're seemingly all in their late 60s, early 70s, <laughs> but, but all kitted out in Giro kit. And I think yeah. it's kind of, I think they get the gig because uh, it's a kind of like in retirement, it's a kind of, you know, it's, it's like, kind of yeah. a little reward. You know, they obviously love their cycling. And uh, so to look forward ha- to over the decades of your career. Exactly. And on one of these mountain roads last night, as we got ever higher into it, and the roads were so narrow and rutted and really quite dangerous, actually. We came around this corner and found that our road was blocked by a carabinieri with flashing lights like that, in the gloom. An RCS, you know, Giro d'Italia carabinieri car. And actually, the only reason it was blocked is because one of them had got out just to take a picture of the sunset. It was quite spectacular. Oh, so wow. we kind of gingerly overtook them and got round and thought, ciao, 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 salve, salve, and got round. And um, when we arrived and we were just unpacking, they pulled up as well, just a couple of minutes after us. And there was a slight misunderstanding because um, they don't speak any English and our Italian is quite limited. Um, but the, 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 the lead guy wanted to impress on us the beauty of the countryside, I think. And he also, he said, he said, uh, he said to me, he said, I'm molt, molto, ma, ma pericoloso, eh? Molto lupi, molto lupi. <laughs> and, um, and I, and, um, Matt Stevens took that to mean, uh, it's dangerous because it's, the road was really looping around, wasn't it? <laughs> Loads of wolves. <laughs> Loads of wolves. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to go for a run, David. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's next level. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? You got any thoughts on that? What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Pack of wolves. <laughs> oh, I love that. I didn't go for a oh, run yesterday. I went for a swim and I, I survived. <laughs> survived a swim so in no. the Adriatic. Yeah. You went for a swim? Yeah, I went for a swim. <laughs> First time yeah. I've been swimming in the sea since... The last bike crate, uh, the last bike race I commentated on before, apart from Paris Nice last year, before lockdown, uh, which was the Tour de Langkawi, where I swam in Malaysia and I nearly drowned because of, uh, <laughs> because like of the ne- sporting adventures of Ned. 
I've never swum. I was completely isolated on this beach. I couldn't fit no one there. The white sand and just huge crashing waves. And I've been for a run up the beach and it was really hot. And I thought, I'll just nip in here. And I, I only went in like up to my sort of shins, but I could feel the undertow about to drag me out into the Pacific. <laughs> what? And I kind of, I kind of bottled it and thought, no, no, I'm, I come from Lewisham. So Ned, mm-hmm. beyond yeah, the sporting okay. adventures, um, Okay. What about the sporting adventure the Giro yesterday? Is there much to talk about? I've read the race report, just so you know. Um, but I, I haven't really... I don't think there was much else going on beyond the sprint, right? Um, yeah, I think that would be that would be the right way to assess it. Um, the only... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm afraid... Tricky it, was, one. it was 180-something kilometres yesterday. It was into a howling headwind pretty much the whole day. Uh, so was, what do you guys call it? You call it a death march, don't you? Death march. In the, in the peloton. It was, mm. I mean, to be fair to the bunch, they actually work really quite hard. I mean, for, for a large chunk of, uh, he's quite odd actually, Thomas de Ghent, because he's Thomas de Ghent. Right? Yeah. And so when he does his, um, when he does his, you know, I, when he's not in a breakaway and he does his thing on the front, of, when he works on the front of the bunch, he does it according to his own, kind of rules doesn't he so he'll he'll sort of like you suddenly pop up there and he'll be there on the front for 10 minutes and then you just won't see him for an hour and a half yeah. and then he'll and then he'll come back do another five minutes go back again like that but then he sat on the front for the when they hit the coast and it really got bad towards the end he did a kind of an hour on the front wow. and it, you know just solidly churning out 350 watts or whatever it was you know you know for him that's a lot of that's just training i mean i guess and you often see it with him and some of those riders are like that. They just need to keep their engine ticking over. Mm. And I guess it's not just your body. It's, it's your mind. Sometimes just sitting in the wheels, even on a day like that, where it's, if it's a headwind, it's going to be pretty easy on the wheels, but it can be so easy that you actually start to switch off and you start to, to kind of, even the easy becomes hard. So sometimes the best thing is to do is just kind of pull yourself together and, and go to the front and do something. And, that's what DeKent does all the time. And I wouldn't be surprised if, and also because he does that, I think he knows that's what works for him in stage races. If he wants to stand a chance of coming good and actually fighting for a stage when later on, it's not going to happen by just sitting on the wheels and doing nothing. He's got yeah. to get up there. And so he's, he's kind of made a rod for his own back, but there's not many riders that can do that, that can actually, uh, well, let's, let's not forget Thomas DeKent as well. He has finished on the podium at the Giro. You know, yeah, he's yeah. he's he's not just we kind of laugh and joke about him a lot, and just with him actually, we don't really take the piss out of him. No, absolutely he, he's not. Such, he's yeah. such a character, um, but you forget that underneath it, his kind of DNA, he's a phenomenal athlete, and so the reason that that's the reason he can get away with all that, and probably the reason there is a necessity for him to do that, is that his body needs to be ticking over that rich all the time. Um, because equally, if he was had a different mindset, a different team, uh, he could be up there fighting for GC, which is bonkers. But it's just not his style. So he just goes in the front. Oh, look at Ned. It's a dog. It's my dog. He's just coming oh, into look. the shot. Yeah. yeah. I flinched yeah. slightly at that. Just that little moment <laughs> Stand there. Stand back. Stand back. <laughs> I know I'm a few um, thousand miles away, but yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. So, so I, and I guess... Yeah, because what's he done before this again? He's done the classics and stuff. I can't really remember. I guess it's all in for Tour de France now beyond this. So he's just blowing himself he, up. I'll, I'll double check, but I don't oh, think Olympics. 
Um, what do you mean before this? In his life or before this in the, no, in 2021? I know what he's um, in his life. Let me just let me just let me just double check that. But I don't think. I mean, I, I Degent normally swerves the classics, doesn't he? Because uh, he, he's a bit of a one for Catalonia and all that. Um, That's right, normally, normally, yeah, Paranese. And he normally comes away with a stage, doesn't he? I've got his, I've got his season up here. Yeah, no, no classics. Paranese. So just stage races. That's what he does. UAE tour. Paris-Nice, um, uh, Catalonia, Basque Country, Giro d'Italia. Simple as that. Not a single one-day race there mm. at all. Um, and he took a stage at Catalonia. Took, took the final stage, the Barcelona stage. I yeah. Stage. That's no, yeah. that's no picnic. That is no picnic. No. Um, but he's quite fortunate to work, to ride fortunate. I don't know. It's quite a nice bit of synergy, I think, that he rides for Caleb Ewan's team because it kind of affords him, you know, on the flat stages, Ewan's team is always one of the teams that's working. Yeah, he's got the right to do it. So he's got the right he's to a, do it. So a, he gets a kind of... He's allowed to. He gets a pass to the front where, whenever and as ever he wants, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's Thomas. Let, let Thomas is coming through. He's just going to, you know, he's just swiped his card and he's just pop, he's popping into the gym to do a bit of training, you know, and then he'll pop back out again. But he did a great ride. And Ewan... Um, delivered an amazing sprint in the finale. Uh, Gaviria, did, it was quite a strange sprint because with 1600 meters to go, it had a kind of mini, but very short 150 meter, 15%, 12% mure like that, which kind of, you couldn't call it a climb, but it was a kind of disruptive moment um, because it sort of shattered lead out trains and it kind of meant that you'd either use it as an opportunity or ride it quite conservatively and lose a few places. And cause it was a long way over the top still to, but then if you're isolated, it was just confusing for people. Um, Fernando Gaviria, whose lead out train kind of semi worked on this occasion. They all got over the top pretty well, but Gaviria took this fabulously bold decision to attack, uh, with about 400, 450 meters to go. And uh, Caleb Ewan saw him go and kind of just let him go, let him go a little bit. But once Caleb Ewan, with about three, three, no, 250 meters to go, saw, even though Gaviria still had a big gap, saw, he made the calculation that he, he kind of eliminated Gaviria from his thinking, I think, and thought, I know that Gaviria is coming back. I can, I can yeah. sense that he's, he's just, he's not going to see this one out. And so I can, I can stop thinking about him. And so, Caleb was kind of like, I don't know, he was, he was holding about 30% back. And then he started looking mm. over his shoulder all the time to see all the sprinters who were flat, I mean, just absolutely flat out on his wheel. And he waited and waited and waited, 150 meters to go, sprinted. And no one could yeah. match his finishing <clears throat> speed. So it was the sign to use one of your, you know, favorite phrases, Dave. He was so lucid. He was so in control in the heat of it. And everyone else was just, you know, just, I'm putting my thumb yeah. under my chin doing that gesture. Yeah, it seems, so, it's, he does seem to be at his absolute zenith, if you like, of his sprinting, Caleb Ewan at the moment. I mean, I did read off as it felt to him, although it looked the perception on TV that he was completely in control and only really kicked hard at the end. He said it physically and psychologically, it felt like a 450 meter sprint which is horrendously long. And you know, when I was reading the report, and <clears throat> I remember Gaviria, when he came in the scene in 16, um, he was just the king of those long sprints. I think if anybody goes and looks back on YouTube of Paris-Nice in 2016, it's still probably the craziest sprint I've ever seen. I think Go he on. goes, I Go think on. it's about 800 Describe meters it. as he kicks out. It's just what? phenomenal. Yeah, what? no, it's just basically does a K... And I must go back and look at it because I can remember watching it and just thinking, what 
on earth is that? Because he had to close down Moose and just kicked out from such a long way and just wound it up over over almost a K and um, just destroyed everybody. And that's when we thought Gaviria was going to come on and just crush the whole scene for years because yeah. it was the first yeah. time we'd seen anybody like Cav. Uh, it was like Cav Plus. And, oh, uh, yeah. Wasn't yeah, it? G- was Gaviria was kind time. of... Gaviria was kind of the first rider who really spooked Cavendish, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, that, we got that set. Yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten about that whole phase. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's another one that's come and gone. Well, he's not gone. He's there. He's, <laughs> yeah, but... he's actually, he's actually, he's going pretty well. I mean, it was a super confident move that kind of blew up mm. in his face a little bit, but I think he's, I think his legs are good. Don't forget he had double COVID last year. He got COVID yeah, that's... and then got another bit of COVID just for good measure. So that's not nothing, is it? No, that's going to slow you down. I'll slow you down a bit. Um, so that means there's only three sprint stages left in this whole Giro. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's yeah. mad. Yeah. And so are these sprinters actually going to make it to the finish? I think Caleb Ewan has already said, nah, no. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd rather leave the no, Dolomites thanks. and the Alps out of my yeah. year, if that's okay. Um, <laughs> which has created a few, you know, people have looked, people have not, that's not gone down brilliantly within some quarters at the Giro, but uh, it's standard, isn't it? It's what happens. Well, that's what cheaper used to do at Tour de France every year. Correct. Chipping just come up and just tell everyone before it even started that he wasn't finishing, he was going to do half of it. Correct. Didn't care. Didn't care. Yeah. Um, the, um, the only thing, the only other thing from the race yesterday, David, that's worth noting and updating because I don't know when this was kind of ratified and everything, but since we're recording this in the morning, it's your morning Giro show. Um, we can confirm that huge Carthy, um, from EF who had a broken saddle, um, Actually, on that on that sharp little ramp that I was just describing at sixteen hundred meters to go, so well inside three kilometers, the cameras picked him out, um, unable to ride, and in discussion with the race director. But you know, clearly he was going to be losing time in a split over the line, and he, in fact, would have lost a couple of minutes and dropped right out of GC contention. He, uh, he whatever appeal he had to launch, because in the provisional results, uh, he they get you know they put him out of. Had given him his time across the line, um, but on appeal or whatever, he has had his time reinstated. So he's survived that scare. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's quite hard that, you know, you can say, oh, I had a mechanical, but if no one saw you, um, then it's just your word against theirs, isn't it? Yeah. But in this case, I think it was obviously witnessed that all the evidence was there for all to see. You know, I don't know, a broken saddle? What's that? Is that the seat post, the way it's fixed, probably? Or, you know, don't imagine your saddle falls off. Well, do you remember <clears throat> Jens Vogt on the Champs-Élysées? He finished the, finished the Tour de France, didn't he, without a saddle? Oh, that's right. It's happened a and couple I, of times, hasn't it? I interviewed him on the Champs-Élysées after he'd crossed the line, and I asked a really stupid question. I said, Jens... He was standing there with his bike uh, that didn't have a saddle. And I said, Jens, w- what's happened? And he said, I don't have a saddle. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to, I didn't know what my follow-up question should be. So I think I just said, bad luck. <laughs> okay. Where is it? Where, 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 where is your saddle? Yeah. Where is what it? You, what happened? <laughs> this is amazing. I was what so sorry. I, I was Scoop. so a scoop. I was so <laughs> floored by the stupidity of my first question. I just went into my shell. I think just stared at him, stared weirdly missing, at him. Are you missing interviewing riders at the Giro? No. I quite like to interview this. Like we're talking about this new generation of riders. I quite like to meet are them. Out, are you going out and doing your? Um, I guess you can't because you're commentating and dashing to the finish. Yeah. Normally, you like going out and having a little wander around and 
and well, talking uh, to riders. Absolutely. And one of my opportunities to do that is the rest day, isn't it? Um, and another yeah. opportunity is always the team presentation the night before, the two days before the race. But it's COVID, isn't it? Oh, I mean, you just can't, COVID, isn't it? You can't get close. You know, the bubble of the bubbles are so tight. So, um, you know, my only contact with riders is the few riders that I know still and, you know, WhatsApp occasionally. Oh, talking of which, um, can I just plug something that yes. our listenership may well be interested in? Um, WhatsApping riders. I have been spending a lot of time over the last few days WhatsApping Philippe Gilbert to confirm with uh, Philippe that he is very kindly going to join me um, on doing a live uh, online Q&A um, on Tuesday, cool. Tuesday afternoon at 4.30. Uh, so it's the rest day of the Giro at 4.30. Um, he and I are going to be in conversation, if you like, and he is very happy to take questions um, from the live audience who are going to join us. And the way that you um, sign up for that event and are given the key and the access link and all that sort of thing is to either um, go on the show notes, which I recommend you do anyway, uh, for your chance to win chapter three gear or roadbook stuff, um, which are attached to this podcast. And there is, yeah, loads of free swag that we're giving away. Um, or uh, you go to the Roadbook Society on the Roadbook website and sign up there. Uh, but that's the only way you can be part of this free event or, at 4.30 on Tuesday. Should be quite cool, though, because he's always he's not exactly short of an opinion, is he, Phil Jill? No, he's not. He's um, In fact, he was one of the few in the back in the older days which would who'd actually turn up to the union events. And I think Brilliant. even he's given up on that of late. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, he's, a, he's always been very outspoken and very kind of, he has educated opinions and everything as well. He's, he's a pretty interesting guy, Phil. It's, yeah. um, how old is he now? 37, 37. I, uh, that was what, that was the floating number I was going to pin out of the pluck out of thin air, but it is a floating number. Do you want to, do you want to anchor it in any? I, I'm anchor? just um, doing some research. 1982, 38, 38. Yeah. He's, he's 39 on, um, on, in July. Jeez. Oh yeah. He's got a July birthday. He's got a Tour de France birthday, hasn't he? July the 5th. Yeah. July the 5th. Guy's he got a, a crazy power. He's got a crazy CV when you look through Palmares. Isn't it? Yeah. Phenomenal. But a few of those, a few of those gr- great champions, it's, it is just amazing when you look at their Palmares. Uh, I had to, mm. I had to fact check. What did I have to fact check with Chris Froome yesterday? Oh yeah. We were talking about one of the features of yesterday and indeed not just yesterday, but, um, successive kind of sprint stages is how well Egan Bernal finishes on those days. You know, like it's partly mm. his team who do, Filippo Ganna positioned him incredibly well. Uh, yesterday, he finished top 20 or something or top 30. And it's just super consistent that he's always up there. Um, and another rider who uh, always did that very well was Chris Froome. And I was just remembering how on the, the sprint, the uphill sprint into Harrogate in 2014, he finished sixth oh, in, yeah. a, in and well, around all those sprinters. It's kind of amazing. You know, it's amazing when you're that fit, what you can do. I mean, even if you're not a sprinter, you can, those GC riders, if they really put their their, their kind of energy into it because so much of those sprints is positioning beforehand, which is the really hard bit. And if you've got the kind of, and so the actual kind of morphology and kind of inbuilt genetics of sprint doesn't really kick in until those final three, 400 meters, 300 meters probably. I mean, <clears throat> I, I think most of those 
non-sprinter big engine guys can probably just sit on wheels to fifth places and bunch of sprints. But it's just to go from fifth to first is huge. I mean, that's where it's, I've been in situations like that where you'd be there, everything's good. Then you come out of the wind with 200 meters to go and it's like hitting a brick wall. And that's when the sprinters actually engage and go. And it was just, and also for, I think even what was amazing at that point as well, and in a full blown world-class kind of sprint lead out, when we're watching on TV, you see all the sprinters getting out the saddle going, there's, there's, you know how hard it is to get out the saddle at that point in a sprint? You've already been kind of peaking out at full-blown maxed out capacity for about two minutes at that point. And everyone else is just putting their head down, just trying to hang on for dear life. And you look up and the sprinters, that's when they start. And it's just, it, it never fails to amaze me how how they do that. Because, and I guess that's the difference. So you'll have those really good guys who can always sit up there, get fifth, sixth, but the difference from fifth, sixth to first, second is just night and day. It's just crazy. So I think that's what's that's what's happening with those really strong riders at the moment. Just cruise mm. around, surf the front, as we call it, and then mm. try and avoid the wind. That's what you do when when you're surfing the front and sprint. You're just trying to avoid that brick wall of headwind that uh, that is just so few people can plow through. Yeah, whenever I hear you guys talk about it, and Matt, Matt Stevens was telling me about some stuff that he remembers because Matt was not a sprinter. You know, I mean, <laughs> even less of a sprinter than than you, David. And you were quite you were a good sprinter. You had your, you had your moments, didn't you, as a sprinter? My moments, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Matt really didn't. He was describing. He was describing. <laughs> he was describing his one day out of sheer. He said. He said. What did he say? It was quite funny. He said he just finished the Tour de Romandy, and he was. He said I was, I was going pretty well. I was a solid forty ninth overall. <laughs> so I was pretty chuffed. But I. But I got to the final stage, which is a bunch of sprint, and he said. Uh, he said. Uh, I, I just thought. You know. I've, I've had a good. I've had a good Tour de Romandy. I'm solid top fifty. You know. Um, but I, I've done nothing in the race. I've not kind of been. I've not been in the race. I've just drifted. <laughs> I've drifted into that position. So on the final sprint, I, for whatever reason, he decided. He decided to give it a nudge in the sprint, <laughs> and his teammate, his teammate, his teammate, his teammate was um, Sean Yates. And on the bus in the morning, he said, um, "He said, I'm going to, I'm going to go for the sprint today." And apparently, Sean Yates, Yates just stared at him as if he was insane. And um, he, he, his target was his target. <laughs> his target was twenty fifth. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, because there was a, because there was a, he's got 50 euros for 25th. <laughs> That's legendary. I love that. But he finished uh, 20, he finished 26th. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Matt Stevens story ever. But it's the most, but it's the most full, oh, you'd have to get him to describe it. It's the most full on kind of like terrifying escapade to finish 26th, you know? Because yeah. I, I don't think, I genuinely don't think that uh, having listened to, been around you guys for, for long enough, I don't think the television pictures come close to describing what's going on in, in, nah. in, the, in those finales. It's not even, I think they do to some extent on other phases of racing. It do give you a sense of kind of being in there and what the riders might be going through, but a bunch sprint, I don't think, it, I don't think it touches the sides really. No, it doesn't. It would be amazing. I mean, I'm surprised that nobody's really shot it properly yet, or even kind of uh, granted, it's really hard to do those things live because they've got cameras on bikes now, but they always show it like a couple of hours later and it's a, a, just a, a front shot or a rear shot. They're not cut together. If you actually cut together, if you had like a cable drone above and stuff and went for a full on crazy production value covering of a bunch of sprint, it would be awesome. Cause you'd have, 
you'd need like as i said cable cameras above you'd need people posting all the different kind of shots and the noise inside there as well and the concentration and just and i guess even then it it's hard unless you're actually in it because this is the speed as i was just describing there the speed you're going at you're a full capacity effort and people are knocking you and and people are kind of you've got to stay people are coming through and there's always a hand for, that was that was always the most awe-inspiring thing with with mark cavendish to be honest with you is just the way he would be and we've spoken about this in, in the past net is is the contrast everyone would always see him often explode after the line either in happiness or rage or <laughs> or a mixture of both um, <laughs> but in those in those seconds before right up until he crossed the finish line he was the coolest he is the coolest cat out there he never gets stressed in the in those final few kilometers he's just darting around calm it's almost as if he's kind of locked it all away but it goes to show how much he has to focus and concentrate to lock it all away because the moment he crosses the finish line it kind of the door of emotions just blow open and it's he's, it, that's the Mark Cavendish everybody sees but when he's in the sprint I think he's probably one of the most respected for being the coolest cucumber in the sense that he's just like just everything's bouncing off him he's finding caps he's not panic gaps he's not panicking and that's what the best sprinters do. They just show no emotion in those in those final hundred meters or final two or three kilometers. But then often, as we see it, then just comes ripping, exploding out the moment they cross the finish line. And it, you suddenly realize how much concentration it's taken for them to kind of stay that much in control under such high stress. Because, I mean, that's that's also the thing. You, we see them doing things like Gaviria going up against the barriers. We see them barging. Barging somebody when you're at full capacity effort and kind of when the consequences are, are pretty bad, not just for you if you go down, but you're going to take down a lot of other people. That's it's a pretty daunting prospect, and it's kind of and they don't really give a shit, you know. It's that's the thing. It's they sprints will say the best ones just don't use their brakes; they'll just find gaps. Yeah. But they also know they're going to go down, and if they yeah. go down, it's not just them; they're going to take a lot of people with them. So that's why most of us, the other kind of ninety eight percent who can't sprint, try and stay the hell out of there because you know once they start going it's no holds barred and they don't really care who's behind them uh, or often who's in front of them because uh, they'll just take everyone down with them in the in the process so so yeah it's a pretty nerve-wracking exercise being in a full-blown world-class sponge sprint yeah it doesn't it sounds ill-advised really um from a health and safety perspective it's um, <laughs> um oh another little detail yesterday that kind of amused me would be a bit wrong but actually it did amuse me was um kind of um that so the the pink jersey the malia rose is still being worn by attila walter who did a perfectly good job yesterday with his teammates kind of positioning him he didn't lose any time because it was the kind of finish where you know if you read it wrong you could have lost a bit of time be the wrong side of a split um but earlier on in the day when his team were riding it was quite funny because I don't I just don't think F Group Army FTJ were expecting you know to come and take the jersey on this race they don't have Thibaut Pino and actually if you think back to recent history on Grand Tours how often have they ridden as the team with the leader's jersey you know mm, and not often a relatively inexperienced team that they've got here um, and so there's a whole thing that goes with that isn't there and it's kind of we saw it with the Israel Startup Nation actually for Demarkey the other day They, but they did it really well with experienced riders like Dowsett and Brendler you know going to the front en masse actually putting on a little bit of a kind of performance about it you know this is 
this is how you honor the jersey in the opening, you know, get on the front. And it was all quite, you know, well orchestrated. It was a little bit more flaky with Groupama FDJ. And they put their one rider, Antoine Duchesne, the, um, the, the Quebecois Canadian. He went to the front, big old unit as well, Duchesne. So the right rider, they kind of put him on the front, but. There were times of yesterday's parkour. It was a little bit up and down, a little bit. So it's going around these in quite wind, quite windy as well. So the wind was just catching the bikes going around these descents. And he kept, he kept on every time he got on the front, actually, Duchenne. I think he was, he was a bit like me. He was a little bit too overexcited by the position he found himself in. And so he would just, he, he would take sort of 20 seconds back. You know, oh, uh, no. the, One of those. Like every time he did, which kind of slightly, I think it kind of grated out all the other sprinters teams who'd sent a rider up there. And so then when then he'd pull off, everything would slow back down again, just a little bit as if to make, and then Duchenne mm. would kind of push on a bit. And also he, he kind of, he kept on, he was a little bit too eager on the descent. So he kept on just almost coming off on the descents. So oh, God, given that everyone's following his line, aren't they behind, you know, <laughs> it was all a bit kind of like, oh, <clears throat> Yeah. But you know what? There were teams like that because when I turned pro in 1997, it was just the end of the era of Bonesto, of yep. Drain's dominance for a decade. And that whole team actually was Delgado, et cetera. Man, that was a long time ago, be, David. That was a long know, time ago. It? God. It's anyway, 25, go on. 25 years ago. Um, and this sport was obviously very different then. But you'd have one team that everyone just loved riding the front was Bonesto. Because you'd be all these races wherever they were, and you'd have these other teams come up, and perhaps Onsay would go on the front sometimes, and it would just be hell. Because it was just, they were just such a, a robo team, probably the first robot team, if you like, Onsay. And just everyone was so strong, and they just loved hurting people. But whenever Bonesto got the lead back or controlled, the whole peloton was just so joyous because they just knew they respected the peloton. And they were the masters of it. They'd been leading Tour de France's Giro d'Italia's Volta Espanias for, for eight years. And it was almost as if, ah, oh, it's like the, the older boys are here to, to look after us. And every team kind of has their own sort of way of riding. And as you say, it's probably a bit the way, as you said, Israel Road, they did that sort of style. And I think as Group Arm FTJ have no experience, they're overexcited. So it does often take its, and it's often not just one rider that can control that good road captain. It's the whole culture of a team of having the experience to, to and understanding that it's their job to, to guide the peloton, not to crush it or lead it. It's actually to pilot it through the day and just minimize efforts, minimize damage and just leave the race ready for the leaders to take back control when needed. And that's what Vanessa were just the masters at it. You just knew that that whole team had only ever been there in the past for injuring. And so their job was to pilot, not just a peloton, but injuring into where he needed to be. And it was just super cool. I can still remember that. And I don't think I've actually ever known a team as good as that in my whole career since or even watched on TV who could have that, that overarching calming effect on a peloton when they got to the front. It was just like, so cool. Yeah. Brilliant. Ah, brilliant. Hey, should we talk about, should we talk about today? Should we talk about yes. today's stage? Um, cause it's really lumpy. Have you seen, have you had a look at the profile? Yeah. So it's awesome. So this is like going to yeah. be, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous for Remco. Well, no. Are you? Well, what are well, you, I, don't I mean, to happen to him. Well, no, you don't, don't want anything to, oh, I'm so enjoying this fanboy thing. It's brilliant. Oh, by the way, a few people online just, um, they've dug out some Remco posters for you to invest in. Oh. Uh, 
Yeah, Amazing. Have, a little, have a little search at the I replies. Yeah. So there's a few, there's quite a few options actually. Remco coming through what appears to be a kind of a doorway that, um, doesn't have any walls attached to it. It's just a door in the middle of a kind of photo. Anyway, with a rather co- kind of coy look as he comes through. But I, oh, Remco's, Remco's going to defend his way to Milan, David. That's, that's all he's going to do. He's just playing this hyper. He's come all the talk before the race got underway was, it's going to be so exciting. Remco's going to, Remco, the Giro d'Italia, go on these rampaging attacks. Turns out he's not, because he's here to win it. He, he knows he can just, you know, they've actually said out loud now, the team have said out loud, please, Benal takes the jersey. That's the, that's, it would be perfect. Let Benal take the jersey. We don't want the stress. We don't want to waste the energy of the jersey. Benal takes it. We don't want to wear that jersey until stage 21 in Milan on the time trial. That's the first time Remco's going to pull it on. And the object is to, to be within a minute of Egan Bernal going into that time trial. They've laid their cards out on the table. He's just going to sit on Bernal's wheel now. That's his job. But what makes you nervous That's about for, on his behalf? What makes you nervous today? I don't want to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like it's a lot. Of, it's got it's carrying a lot of weight on his shoulders, and he's still yeah. he's still such a young man. It's yeah. um, yeah. you know, it's it's a burden, and and uh, I don't want him to be disappointed. I want him to yeah. still be happy, Remco. But I think there's a, a, a it's genuinely going to be. I, I liked you on you saying of Egan as well, Egan Bernal, Egan Bernal, so, Egan Bernal. Yeah, I think you're right. Egan Bernal's got to ride super aggressive. Because I think he has, gonna yeah. be, he's got to, and he's got the team to back him up, hasn't he? So yeah, he's got, well, he's got Filippo Ganna. He's got Ganna. Oh, <laughs> it's just, oh wow, these pictures are, these pictures are amazing, Ned. It's, yeah, the, the Koenig. You're looking at them. Yeah, wow. Like, they, they're even better than the pillow fighting. <laughs> Super cool. Hey, but, um, the, today, but yeah. the, start, the start today is going to be grotesque, isn't it? If you look at the ball oh, formation yeah, of the breaker. Straight up. Straight uphill. It's a little little peak and then and then another bigger one, uncategorized. little bit of descending and then it carries on for another 20k to a sprint. You know? This is, you know what's nice about this one as well? This is a nice distance for a mountain stage. They're peaking out at the, the real significant climb of the day at 120 kilometers. So that can be really hard racing up to there. I think it's going to be crazy. Be, I think it's gonna be, What's the weather like? What's the weather like? Shall I go to the window? Yeah. I'll go to the, I'll go to the window. Hold on two seconds. I'll commentate as I go to the window. Um, I'm walking now out onto my balcony. Just left you behind. Oh my life. It's beautiful. It's, um, oh, I'll take a photograph of this. I'm going to take a photograph of this, David, and uh, send it to you. But it's pretty clear at the moment. Um, so the, the weather's okay, but it was okay the other morning and it turned into an absolute torrent. So let me just put my headphones mm. back on again. Because um, uh, that's a very long descent from that 120 kilometer all the way down to this 42 kilometer descent, 40 kilometer descent until they hit yeah. the final climb. So if it's, it's, if it's a little bit wet, that in itself could be a race. Not at the moment, but it, it, there's, like they're saying, the, the, it's a bit moody. It could change. It could rain uh, this afternoon. And they're real... It's the roads that I, we've driven, which are similar to some of the roads that are going to be on today, they are proper racing roads. I think today could be an absolute spectacle, actually. I think mm. it could be a real spectacle. And the final climb, you know, what is it? It's, a, it's a definitely an uphill finish. We're not into summit finish territory. Um, and it's a roundabout. Well, there's a sprint. There's a sprint with bonus seconds, like a kilometre into the climb, a couple of kilometres into the climb. And then it goes up another... Five. This feels like a Yates finish. 
Yeah. Well, he's got to move. Simon Yates, he's, he's got to take time because he's like, if he has another, you know, he's been losing kind of 11 seconds here, 12 seconds there. And he finds himself over 35 seconds down on, you know, Egan Bernal and Remco. Mm. He's got, he's got to start taking some of that back because it's not the days of kind of like one big attack and you yield a minute and 45. They're long gone, you know, even yeah. up when up in the Alps and the Dolomites, unless he does something, you know, Froome-esque with a long distance raid, he's, he'd be lucky to take kind of 30 seconds on any of those stages. You know, that's the, that's the kind of arithmetic that you have to consider nowadays. So I think his Giro tilt is kind of in the balance over the next couple of days. You've they've got, got to send, they've got to send a couple of dudes up the road. Mm. They're going to send, they need to send somebody up the road and have Simon Yates attack on that big climb. Nieve, Nick yeah. Schultz, maybe guys Joel like that. Get him up the road. Break. Super, he's yeah. super strong. Yeah. Yeah, big yeah. day for Simon Yates, David. Big day for yeah. Simon Yates. Okay, right. um, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's it. So that was all quite cycling related today, wasn't it? Um, that we, need was, to, well, we need to yeah, up the we'll, game we'll a little I'll bit. Do a bit more, any other business tomorrow? I'll do a bit more reading on, on it's 1421, the year China discovered the world. That would be great if you could I do that. But all right. I'll do that. I'll do some more research. <laughs> so I've got some stuff for you tomorrow. Have a lovely right, weekend. I'm, I'm going to be, have a lovely weekend. Don't work too hard. I'm going to be talking about bike racing and then uh, occasionally sneaking off to uh, eat a bit of pizza. All right. Nice. I'm, I'm going to go and watch my boys play tennis this afternoon. Excellent. Follow the bike race from afar. If okay. you could. All right. Bye. See you. Bye. Okay. See you. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.